So how many of you have ever been in a situation um, in which you felt like you were walking around on eggshells around somebody? You felt if you said or did the wrong thing, they would just go off. Anybody? Some of you are lying in church on Sunday morning. Um, yeah, trying not to be, you know, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, push them uh, just over that edge. They seem to be teetering on. Uh, how, how many of you have been in a situation where uh, you're the person that people are trying to not set off? Anybody? I'm feeling a lack of honesty from back in this. Uh... <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe. No, no, no. This is this one's for you guys. Uh, how many of you have been in this situation uh, where people were walking on eggshells around you, but you didn't know it? <laughs> maybe that's it. <laughs> maybe that's your spot. Yeah, uh, we're all familiar with this dynamic, right? And uh, many times you, you wish you could just tell the person, like, "Hey, man, things are real tense. Like, you seem to be really on the edge. Why don't you just relax?" I mean, it always goes good when you tell people to relax, right? That's, I mean, it's always a winning move. Um, yeah, but chill out, you know, just, just stop being so on edge. Uh, and of course, of course, with the everything in life, um, just doing something like relaxing or chilling out, <laughs> just not being on edge is a lot easier to say uh, than to actually do, right? It's very, very difficult. Now, I have not talked to every single person in the world, but... Most all the people I have talked to, uh, here's what I've discovered. In my experience, those situations where somebody is on the edge and they feel like they could be pushed off uh, at any minute um, uh, has very little to do with the people that are actually around them. Sometimes it does. Most of the times it doesn't. Most of the people who could go off at any minute have in their life one area or another, and a lot of people multiple areas, um, they have an area in their life that is just a mess. It's just an absolute mess. And uh, there's a lot of people that are able to uh, hide the mess well, get it all shoved together so you can close that cabinet door so people don't see it. But that mess exists. Um, things are just kind of in a state of disarray. Some people have been able to manage to stay functional uh, through it. Other people, not so much. Um, but their life is in some sort of disarray, and, and they look a lot better on the outside than what their circumstances are on the inside. And the problem is, is like we've talked before uh, in Tapestry, if you, if you bump into somebody and something comes flowing out of them, it not really, doesn't really have much to do with you. It has to do with what was in there to start with, Right? And so a lot of people that are close to being pushed off the edge and just, you know, losing it, they've got something really unsettled um, going on. And for some of us, staying functional through that is the goal, right? Because some of us may have messes that we're dealing with that are uh, financial messes, uh, relational messes, family messes, health messes, just there's all kinds of different things. Maybe, maybe uh, if your life doesn't currently have a spot that's a mess, maybe you're lucky enough to be in between uh, messes at the moment. Um, but here's the truth. Life is messy and mess leads to stress almost every time, every single time. Uh, I, I, I was reminded as I was watching the video, Brad, Brad had showed me that thing. And uh, the very first guy that's trying to keep all the stuff up in the cabinet, all the dishes and everything, um, we got, uh, my boys do the dishes now. And so a lot of times when we open cabinets and they've put the dishes away, uh, we got to expect something coming out. But there's something that, that 
the boys and I have learned, and it took us a long time to learn it because, you know, we're slow. But um, we learned that sometimes, sometimes Kate would come home from work and she'd be like on edge. And it'd be easier to push her over the edge. It took us a long time, but we figured it out. If we just straightened the house up and there wasn't a visible mess, that dynamic didn't exist. There was a direct correlation between the mess in the house and how at ease Kate was, right? And it's embarrassing that it took us that long to figure it out, but eventually we did. But mess leads to stress, right? And stress leads to tense environments um, where people are always walking on eggshells around other people trying to not set them off. But here's the good news. The good news is this, is that there's always somebody else whose life is a bigger mess than yours, right? Uh, So you can take comfort in that. Maybe that's a mean way to put it. Uh, Let me try again. The good news is, is that it's not just you. That everybody deals with areas of their life being in a mess. But like so many things we talk about, it's much easier to see it in other people than it is to see it in yourself. Uh, You can look at other people, um, you know, and and think, you know, if you keep doing this, you're going to create a mess. Or your life's a mess. And it's very clear why, because of the choices you're making. Right? If you continue to live that way, you're going to end up regretting it. Uh, if you continue to talk to your spouse, your kids, your coworkers that way, like it's going to lead to some bad things. Um, but before you're critical of those around you um, whose lives are messy, always, always, always remember your life is messy too. You just don't always have as clear of a view of it as when you're looking at everybody else. Right? And when it comes to the mess of the lives of other people around us, we should be students, not critics. And by that, I mean, because when you, when you hear the story, when you hear the story behind somebody's mess, you see them differently, right? When, when you uh, understand the circumstances, where they came from, the things that they're dealing with, um, you can, you know, breathe a little deeper, maybe start to feel a little sorry, have a little compassion for them instead of just being annoyed that they always seem to be on edge. Uh, um, tech, my oldest, will come home from school all the time and start telling me about kids that annoy him or bother him or do stupid things or whatever. And when we're sitting there, um, it's to the point we had started, Kate and I would be like, well, maybe something's going on at home that they're acting like that. No, they're just a jerk. No, they're just doing it. Well, you don't know their backstory. You don't know what they're dealing with. You don't know what they're going through. And it's gotten to the point now he preempts us. He goes, he'll come in. He'll be like, ah, dad. There's this kid at school, and don't tell me about their backstory, because their backstory's fine. (laughs) But we try and teach this idea of maybe when somebody else is bothering you or on the edge or always feels like they're just, just, just angry and irritated, maybe, maybe instead of judging, maybe become a student. Because behind that, almost every single time, is there's something going on in their life that's messy, Right? And when we see what Jesus has to say, we'll see that it's pretty clear we should be students, not critics. Uh, the other reason that this whole idea is so important uh, is because we need each other. Right? We are not people just unto ourselves. Sometimes we create or find ourselves in a mess that we can't get ourselves out of on our own. That if somebody else doesn't step in and give us some assistance, we're just going to spiral and it's just going to become messier and messier and messier. Holes that are so deep right? And we look up and we realize I've dung my own hole, but I don't know how to get out of it. 
I don't know what the next step is. And if you've ever had anybody, if you've been in a situation like that, if you've ever had anybody step into your life and offer you a helping hand to get you out of it, you know how powerful that can be in your life. And that's where we should be focused as followers of Christ. Now, just imagine the impact that the church would have if it got this right. Right? Imagine the reputation that the church would have if just this one thing, when people are struggling, instead of being critics, be students, imagine the difference that there would be if we'd get this one thing right. Now, he, here's something that Christians uh, believe about the mess uh, in our lives, uh, that the mess is what brings God near. Like it's what, bring, it's what allows us to see God. Because for God so loved the messy, because we're all messy, right? And God so loved the messy, the on-edge people, that he sent his only son, right? And when Jesus showed up onto the scene, it was a surprise. And one of the reasons people didn't recognize Jesus when he showed up for who he was is because in the ancient world, when you talked about the idea of God, whether it was the Old Testament God of the Jewish people or the uh, gods of all the surrounding, different surrounding nations. When you talked about God in that time period, uh, you expected a judge, uh, you expected punishment, you expected lightning bolts to be thrown from the sky when you didn't do the right thing, you expected uh, punishment, you expected a criticizer who didn't care uh, about the backstory to what was going on. That was what was in people's mind and what they expected when they heard God. And when Jesus showed up, he introduced a word into the messes of the world that was wholly unexpected, right? Here's the word he introduced. He introduced the word grace. Grace. And no one expected it. And not only did no one expect it, but most people missed it when he introduced this word. So if your life is a mess, or maybe not your whole life, maybe you just got an area that's a mess and you're trying to remain functional, uh, throughout uh, all of it. Uh, if you've created an environment where you, maybe you're so on edge that it doesn't take much from somebody else around you uh, to set you off, um, I get it. We've all been there. We all have those moments. Now, as we get into this conversation, as we're kicking this series off, um, he, here's another thing we believe. Uh, believe that the mess in your life is a lens. It's a lens. If you can see your mess for what it is, then you can see God in your life, right? If you can see it for what it is, you can see God because to recognize one, that is the mess, is to acknowledge the other. And here's where I want us to start because your mess is a lens through which you can discover God, because God reveals himself in the reality of messes. And of course he does because we all have the messes. And so that's the best way for God to reveal himself. So here, here's what I, where I want us to start. Uh, the apostle Paul, when he showed up on the pages of history, uh, he was creating quite the mess. Right? He was going around persecuting uh, the church, uh, the, the people who were Jesus followers. Um, and then he had the dramatic turn. 
and begins to start churches all around the Mediterranean rim and starts to spread the word. And he wrote, he wrote letters to all of the different churches that he got rolling. And um, those have been preserved as we talked about in our last series uh, on the Bible. Those have been preserved through history, part of the collection of the manuscripts. And it's in one of these letters that he wrote to one of the churches that he introduces the idea that our mess or our inability to keep God's law, that that is the lens through which we discover the presence of God. Uh, here's how he puts it. Romans chapter three. Now, Paul, especially when he's writing in Romans, can get a little wordy and kind of a little higher ideas and you got to look at them for them to make sense. So we'll try and make as much sense of it as we can. Um, but he says this, Romans chapter three, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, which is just a fancy way of saying this. Um, if you are under the law, so the law and you, if you're under, that means the law is over. Right? That's all he's saying. And if the law is over, you are under. Right? If you sign a contract for something uh, in your day-to-day -day life, in, your, you know, in whatever you're doing uh, business-wise, if you sign a contract, the rules of that contract are over you in that situation, right? And you're under those rules. So Paul basically is starting out this idea by saying whatever law you're under, it doesn't matter which law. Whatever law you're under, the law is over you. And in this passage, he's specifically talking about the law of God, right? If you're a Jewish person, it was the laws of the Old Testament. If you're a Christian, it's the law of Christ. Uh, that is treat others the way Jesus treated you. Um, but let's make it broader than that. It doesn't even have to be those laws. It can be any laws. If your conscience is your law and dictates what you should and shouldn't do, then you are under that, right? And uh, there are things that you know you should do, things that you know you shouldn't do, all kind of based on your conscience, and it's over you, you're under it. Now, the interesting thing about that is this, um, that all of us fall short of the standard of the law that we are under. Doesn't matter which law it is, we all fall short of the standard, right? We all mess up. And when we do, when we do and someone catches us, we say things like, well, nobody's perfect, right? Nobody gets it right all the time. Nobody can be perfect. And when you acknowledge that idea that nobody's perfect, here's what you're saying by default. You're saying that there is a perfect that exists and nobody is it. Right now, this is huge because what you're saying is, is there's a law, there's a morality, uh, there's an ethic that you have to live up to, but you don't, right? It exists, but you fall short. And there's this subtle sense of accountability uh, to something that is over you and beyond you. That is the law that you live under. And we all have chosen different laws that we live under. So Paul goes on. He says, so that, meaning what is the purpose of being under this law, uh, so that we can get a more perfect uh, until we're all just a bunch of perfect people? No, that's not the point. So that, and this is great, every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Now, God can be here just for the sake of our conversation. God can be Old Testament God, New Testament God, your conscience, your heart, Whatever, fill it in there. But 
There's a law that we all are aware of, either specifically or generally, and we all fall short of it. But the point of that struggle isn't so that we will all eventually be perfect. Because you know you and I know me and none of us are ever going to be perfect, right? The point is, Paul says, that we will be silenced. That is, when I look at you and your mess and the thing that you're struggling with and I'm ready to be critical of you in that moment, I will be silenced. I won't be critical. I won't say those things. I won't make that judgment because I fall short as well, right? And if you're looking at me and being critical of my mess, the point of the law is for you to be silenced because you look at the law and you don't measure up to it either. You're aware of your own shortcomings. This is why Jesus says you need to look in the mirror before you judge other people. Right? You, you, you need to look at yourself because when you see yourself for what is actually going on inside of you, you will not find it right to begin to judge other people. We will all be accountable, not to each other in that sense, but to God. And then he says this, he says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. In other words, Paul's saying, look, if you're spending your time trying to be so good that God says you're good enough, that's never going to happen. You can't be so good in your own actions that you will be good enough because once you've fallen, you've fallen. Once you've not measured up, you haven't measured up. And maybe you might be able to do better about moving forward and measuring up from here on out, but what about the already not measured ups and the part where you didn't come through, right? And this next point that he says, this, this is amazing. He says, rather, here's the whole point. Rather, through the law, we become conscience, conscious of our sins. And we're going to spend more time in the future talking about that idea of sin. But when I read the scripture, here's what happens. And here's what Paul is saying has happened. When I read the scripture, I, I'm reminded. I, I don't love my neighbor consistently. I try, I think I do decent, but then there's times I don't, right? I don't forgive quick enough. Sometimes I hold on to things for a while. Uh, I'm not everything I ought to be for the people that I love the most. And the reason that I realize those things about myself as I read the scriptures is because the scriptures are a mirror and a reminder as to who I am. So let me ask you an uncomfortable question. It's been a while since I've asked uncomfortable questions. Um, what does the law that you are under, whatever that may be, uh, what does it remind you that you are not? What is that shortcoming, right? Uh, that, that thing that, that, that you can't seem to live up to. And it doesn't even have to be some outside standard. It can be some standard you've set for yourself. Like there are times that I don't live up to my own expectations. But whatever your law that you're under, what, what is that thing? And if you think hard enough to come up with a thing, think about this. Isn't it true, oddly enough, that it tends to be the same thing over and over again? That same thing, right? 
It, it, isn't it that habit or that addiction or that, that behavior or that thought or that you just can't seem to break away from? You know, that thing that you've told a spouse or a partner, or a friend, you know, a thousand times you're going to, you're going to stop doing that thing, but you still keep doing that thing. Or you're going to start doing something you should be, but you never actually do. You know, whatever law you're accountable to, what is it reminding you that you are not? Because in that moment, you are experiencing the law for exactly the reason God gave us the law. Which is a weird thing to say because you think, okay, no, the law is exactly how I'm supposed to behave. And that's how I'm supposed to approach the law. But that's not really the point. The point is, this is just a reminder of what you're not, right? It's a mirror, it's a reminder. And then three verses later, Paul gives us his bottom line. He sums up his whole argument by saying this, verse 23, for all have sinned. Again, we're gonna spend some time talking about that later, but Paul, can you just give us a breakdown of what that means? Sure, Paul says, let me say it another way. They fall short of the glory of God. Not only have you fallen short of your own standard, those times that you can't keep up with what you expect of yourself. Not only have you fallen short of society's standard, what they expect of behavior, or maybe your spouse's standard or your employer's standard, whatever it is, but everybody is silenced because everybody has fallen short of God's standard. And what he's reminding us of, and, the, and this is so subtle in the text, is that the reason you recognize somebody else's mess when you see it is because every mess has a reference point. Every mess has a reference point. And the reference point is the unmess. That's the reference point. And that's why you're able to recognize mess when you see it because the reference point is unmess, right? You know what a marriage should look like. You know what a lot of people make their marriages look like on the outside, but you can recognize the mess in it when it's not that thing, right? You know how you should behave. You know how you should respond to things. Um, you, know, you, you know you should be able to break away from something. Uh, you know you should be able to escape a habit. You know you shouldn't be in a re certain relationship. Like you know what it should be. And so because you know what it should be, you recognize it when it's not. Right? And that awareness of our mess points us to something that is outside of us that we are accountable to. It points us to something, uh, something else. The awareness of the fact that we can't live up to those high expectations um, leads most of us to think our natural uh, conclusion is, well, I need to try harder. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. I mean, growing up in church, you know, my, my early uh, experience with religion was every week feeling guilty that I didn't do good enough and going to some kind of altar call and rededicating and I'm going to try harder from here on out and repeat, 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 repeat. And that was my experience. And that's where most people go to. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. No, that's not what it is. God didn't give you the law just so you try harder. That wasn't it. And he doesn't ding your conscience just so you'll be aware and be a better person. God does it so that you'll become aware that there is something or someone outside of you to which you are accountable. Now, many, many years later, um, there came along a guy named C.S. Lewis. 
And he was a scholar, he was a teacher, he was a historian, he was a philosopher. And then after all of those things, he became a Christian long into his adult years. Um, and he wrote many, many books, uh, some awesome books. And in the first chapter of one of his most famous is a book called Mere Christianity. He writes about this idea, but he writes it in different terms. He writes in terms of sitting and watching two people fight, two people argue about something. And here's what he writes, um, which was the thing he could not escape that eventually brought him to Christianity as an adult. Here's what he said. He said, when I watch two people quarrel, here's what I'm aware of. There are two people who are appealing to a standard that neither of them created and neither of them can escape. So in other words, he's watching them. Two people are arguing. And one says, you're not being fair. Says, I am being fair. You're not being just. I am being just, right? You're not sensitive. Yes, I am sensitive. You're not paying me enough. Yes, I'm paying you exactly enough. You know, you're not. I am. It doesn't matter what the argument is, right? They're both appealing to the same standard that is outside of themselves. And as he sits and watches these people argue, he's like, where did that come from? Where did that idea of an outside standard come from? Then he says this, rarely in a quarrel will you hear someone say, well, to hell with your standard, <laughs> right? Rarely will you hear somebody say, oh, you're not being fair. Well, I don't care what you think is fair. You don't really hear that. You hear, yes, I am being fair. They argue to the standard. You don't hear anybody in arguments say, well, forget justice, forget mercy, forget being the type of spouse I'm supposed to be. Just forget it, right? No one ever jettisons the standard. They argue that they're closer to it than the other person is accusing them of being right? They argue that they're keeping it better than the other person thinks. Or, or, or we argue that there's a really good reason we fell short, right? Yes, I didn't live up to the standard, but you got to understand the backstory, right? There's a reason I should get a pass. There's a reason that I should be let off the hook here, right? And this bugged C.S. Lewis to death, right? As he sat and he thought about it and thought about it, right? What is it that all over the world, People, no matter what their belief system is, all over the world, there's a standard that people feel they are accountable to, but yet cannot live up to. It was universal, right? And we clearly didn't create it ourselves because if we did, we would be able to just get rid of it ourselves and not feel bad about our behavior. If it was a standard I created, then I could drop it if it was my thing. But the moral of the story today is this, is that, um, he, he, well, before we get there, he says this. He, he starts expanding on his idea. He's like, okay, there's this thing that's out of there, right? And where did it come from? He says, let me think about it like this. The law of gravity tells you what stones do if you drop them. It's an outside law. And he goes on in the book, in that section, to talk about just all of the natural laws that make the universe predictable, right? If this happens, this is going to happen, predictable because of natural laws. It's why a pilot can do the same thing over and over and over and get the same results with the plane, right? The laws of nature are predictable and they are observable. But the law of human nature tells you what other humans ought to and ought not to be doing. So the law of human nature 
says, well, if you're kind, things will go better. Right? It says, if you eat right, you'll be healthier. Right? If you avoid addictions, things generally go better in your life. But unlike any other area in the universe, when it comes to the laws of human nature, we know what they are, but we don't keep them. We break them all of the time. He keeps going. Here, here's what he says next. Human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and they cannot get rid of it. That is there something within us that is a built-in set of ethics and morality. And then he caps it all off. He says this, there is something above and beyond the ordinary facts of man's behavior, and yet quite definitely real, which none of us made, but we find pressing on us, which is the whole point. We've all felt the pressure of ought. I ought to be doing this. I ought not be doing this. We have all felt that pressure, right? And the pressure, that pressure is the gracious presence of God on us. That is where the outside standard comes from. Now that outside standard has been interpreted in many different ways by many different groups. But when it comes down to it, it's the same outside standard. And it isn't God pressing on us just so that we're going to be better people. It's so that we would acknowledge God, right? That our mouths would be silenced in judging everyone else. Because once we acknowledge our mess in our own life, once we acknowledge that, we are a baby step away from acknowledging God. Because it's his standard that our mess is not living up to. And once we realize that we fall short of all standards, we're a breath away from seeing God. So to back the idea up just a little bit and to wrap it up with the, the, the moral of the story this morning, we all have something in common. We all have something in common. Whether you're the one walking on eggshells around somebody else because they've got mess in their life and they're ready to go off on any moment, or it's you <laughs> that's on the edge. And the messes in your life are causing that. We are all a mess. Varying degrees at different periods of life. <laughs> but we're all a mess. Like you can't get through life without it being a mess. And the reason this is significant is this. is because it means you have something in common with the person that you despise the most. Which is a difficult pill to swallow. <laughs> Because when there's the people in your life or the people in the general vicinity of you that you despise the most, you want to think that you're nothing like them. But the reality is, is that the law that you live under demonstrates to you, nope, there's something that you have in common with. Maybe it's not an individual, maybe it's a group. There's a group that you despise. Guess what? You have something in common with that group. Right? We all fall short of our own standards. We fall short of other standards. We fall short of God's standards. So, as this is a kickoff, undoubtedly, uh, if you spend much time thinking about this, there's going to be questions raised. Uh, you may already have a lot of questions. Um, that's good. I want you to sit with those questions for a while. 
I'll, over the next couple weeks, try and lead you to some answers. But here's the challenge for you this week. When you see the mess this week, right, when it becomes visible to you and you find yourselves walking on eggshells around somebody and maybe wanting to judge them, I want you to say this to yourself. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. When you're around somebody else and their mess is spilling out on you, recognize in that moment, I can recognize this mess because I myself am a mess. And the reason I know about the mess is because of the unmess that is the standard. Right? But the mess, and this is an idea we're going to unpack a little bit, but the mess is the idea, is the thing it kind of brings us all together in the same boat. And when we are together in the mess, allows us to then see God. So, if you've got messes that you're hiding somewhere in your life, that you're struggling to keep hidden from other people, if things feel like they're spinning out of control, rest assured, two things. One, you're not the only one. And two, if you recognize it, you're one step closer to seeing God in your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you uh, for the scriptures that we have, that we're able to look back at the experiences that other people had in their pursuit of you, in their relationship with you. Lord, some of the, the just valuable advice and insight that we find in those words and ideas that, that, Father, on the surface don't seem to make sense, but as we think about them, your truth begins to be revealed to us. Lord, this idea of we all fall short of a standard. But the point isn't to just try harder. The point is to find you in it by recognizing who we are. Lord, I pray this week you begin to open our eyes to the messes that we have inside of us, the things that are unsettled, the things that are unkept, the things that we need to do some work on. And Lord, as we see the messes that are so obvious to us in the lives of other people, Lord, shut our mouths and allow us to become students, not critics. Let us view those people in those situations the way you view us and let us act accordingly in those environments. Lord, I thank you that you do not judge and disqualify us on our mess. You take into account the things we've experienced, the circumstances in our life. Lord, you open up your arms and invite us to step back towards you. Lord, let us treat others around us the same way. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us and for your mercy and for your grace. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out and uh, look forward to you joining us next week as we continue to address the mess that so many of us have in our life. <laughs>